You know, Paul was, uh, that last song, I love it. Um, Paul was praying for the Ephesians and he said, I pray that you would have help from God to know uh, his love, how wide and deep and long uh, is the love of God in Christ. And uh, anyway, pretty incredible, isn't it? This love we found, it is uh, forgiving, it is uh, loyal to us when we didn't really deserve God's loyalty. He is lovingly loyal toward us and forgiving toward us, uh, love that we, we have, can't wear out, amazing. Nothing like it. Unconditional, not up to us. Let's take a moment and pray together. We'll uh, jump in here to the Word. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your great love for us. Um, and Lord, it is, it is a humbling thing, knowing, Lord God, that we didn't deserve your a second thought by you, that you had given humanity a, a chance and, uh, to do right and to choose, choose life. But instead, um, starting with Adam and Eve and then every one of us after them, uh, we chose sin, and um, we chose rebellion, and we chose not to seek you. Um, we chose to, to look and find our own way, and in doing so, we lost our way, and we lost our way to you. Uh, but Lord, you are a God of mercy, and you're a God of love, and you're a God of grace. In the midst of those places, Lord God, uh, as, as lost as we were, uh, you weren't done, but you were working your plan of redemption and salvation that you might restore a, a minority, a, a remnant back to yourself, that you might save a remnant for yourself uh, to hold on to and to have as your possession uh, and to have as, uh, as, as your people, that you might inhabit them and live among them. And uh, Lord, we just thank you that for your character and your love and your mercy, that you have that much love for us, that you want to be around us that much, that you sent your own son and, and, and he suffered our sins. He suffered the penalty of our sins and the punishment that we might be freed from them. And Father, we now walk as your chosen people, people who have been made holy by you, people who have been set apart by you, by an act of your will and an act of your um, self-sacrifice. And uh, Lord, what can we say? We are humbled and we are grateful, Father. We are, uh, you've changed our lives. You've changed our direction and our destiny forever. And and, uh, Lord, we, we, we're proud to stand up and say that we are your people. And, Lord, help us to be good followers of yours. Help us to be good disciples of yours, that we might catch on to what you're doing around us, Lord God, and be a part of this, this incredible movement that you call your redemption. Lord, may we take part. May we share a, a story, a, a word with someone who's struggling and tell them the, the hope that we found in Jesus Christ, Lord God, so that we might be a part of all that you're doing. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I wanted to go through, and um, you know, one of the things that I think that is lacking in maybe our society, but certainly in church today, um, is that uh, I think a lot of people are just missing a really great passion and desire in their life, you know? And I think part of that is our culture. I think we have so many distractions that we don't have time to pursue and focus on one single thing. And so we find ourselves chasing after a hundred different things, uh, but there's no real great desire, there's no real great focus in our lives, there's no lifelong passion that we have for anything, because you can either chase one thing really well, or you can chase a hundred things not very well, you know? And, and we see that in our lives, I certainly see that in my life. Um, when I'm really busy at work, and, and I'm and really trying to make progress at work, it seems my home or my church life suffers, you know? Because I'm just not talented enough to pull it all together, you know, to, to make it all happen. If I'm doing something at church or and if I'm doing something at my home, then the other areas of my life 
uh, uh, tend to suffer because I'm, I'm just not talented enough to pull it off, you know. But one lifelong pursuit, if we could really focus and really uh, uh, arrange our life around one great desire and one great passion, people who can do that in their lives, people who can live with that much simplicity in their lives, those are the kind of people that we all like to look at and say and look at and say, wow, I wish I could live and be more like them. Um, we get to look, um, in, there's, there's a couple of really rare things uh, in the Bible uh, about Paul's life. Whenever he t- he's talking about a, a real short biography of himself, there's only two or three places in the Scriptures that you get a really good autobiography by Paul where he talks about his own life. And we're going to get to look at that today. But, you know, you think about the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament, most of the letters in the New Testament. He traveled all over basically the known world to spread the word of Christ uh, in a very short period of time. Uh, in, in the short years that he, that he had left um, after he came to Christ uh, and traveled basically all of the known world to make Christ known uh, throughout all of the Roman Empire. It's really an incredible thing. Uh, but, you know, you look at a life like Paul's and you think, wouldn't it be something to be a guy like that? Wouldn't it be something to have that kind of focus and that kind of understanding of even of your calling, of God's calling on your life? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be fulfilling? Wouldn't that give you an incredible sense of purpose if you understood your calling that well and, and, and could fulfill all that God had called you to like Paul did? Now, God doesn't call us all to write Scripture, obviously. God doesn't call us all to be missionaries. But what if in whatever calling that we had, what if all of us were certain of it? What if you sought after God and you understood what he wanted from you and what he designed you and put you in this place for? What if you understood that really well that you could live with that kind of focus like the Apostle Paul? It would be an amazing thing, wouldn't it? It would be an incredible thing. Let's look, if you would please, in Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Uh, and we're going to get this, this really great glimpse of Paul's life. And he's going to describe, over the next couple of Sundays, we're going to look at it, but Paul's going to describe a couple of things. And if you give me a little bit of latitude, today we're going to talk about Paul had a life's desire for something. And that's what we're going to look at today. And then next week we're going to look at, he also had a life's goal. Uh, and we're going to look at those things today. But um, if we could just be a little more, more like Paul that uh, if we could pick up those things and be absolutely certain of what we wanted out of this life and what we had as an overall goal in this life, um, I think we could live our life with a lot more clarity and we could live for the gospel uh, with a lot more clarity than we do today. So let's, let's go in through this. And uh, boy, I, just, I pray it's a fruitful time for us. It's an incredible, incredible passage that Paul's describing here, incredible thing that he talks about what he really wants in life. Let me describe just a little bit about what was going on before. Uh, Paul, in the beginning of chapter 3, he goes through and he talks about how he was the, uh, the uh, uh, um, consummate Jew. He was, uh, he was everything in Jewish tradition that was, that was held high. He had accomplished all of those things. And when it comes to being a, a good Jewish man, he was all of those things. Um, in, in leadership, and even the time that he was, he was born and when he was uh, circumcised, all of those things Paul had fulfilled perfectly in his life, all right? And then in verse 7, there's an incredible turn here, incredible change in the Scripture as he's writing. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. Let me stop there for just a moment. 
Paul just goes through and he's just explained what a great, how great he was in the tradition of the Jews and how, how perfectly he fulfilled the law and how perfectly he had become a great leader in the, in the, in the Jewish leadership there in, in Jerusalem. But he, and he goes through and he says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. There's been, you know, and we see it obviously in Acts whenever you read the conversion story of Saul to Paul, but there's been incredible change in Paul's life. There's been an incredible change where he says, all those things that I once held as very valuable to me, I now consider them not just, not just negative, not just, not just zero, but loss. It's something that, I, that I'm glad I don't hold on to anymore. Uh, let's continue to read. Whatever was to, to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. There's, a, there's something, something we need to pause here and talk about for just a moment. Paul at this point is in his life, whenever he had been converted, in, uh, whenever he had been converted, he's, he was shown a better way. He was shown Christ and he was shown a better way. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But, but here's the thing that I'd like to say is that he renounced all of his former life. He says, all of those things that I had pride in, all of those things that I considered important or valuable, all of those things that I considered accomplishments of mine, I now consider them lost for the sake of Christ. They're all lost. They're all worse than, than nothing for me, and he renounces them. And as a matter of fact, here in just a moment, we're going to see a little bit clearer that to Paul, they had actually become a hindrance to him. That actually all those things that he considered good were now a hindrance to him, and he wanted to put them behind him so that he might follow Christ better. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, for the sake of Christ, in verse 8, what is more... I consider, now here he's saying whatever was for my profit in verse 7. Now he says, now I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. All right, let's pause there for just a moment more. You know what, I, t- I tell you what, let's read through this entire deal and then we'll go back. Um, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his resurrection uh, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. All right, let's go back to verse 8. So Paul says, not only do I consider my Jewish tradition and my Jewish accomplishments a loss, but everything else, everything else in this life, he considers a loss compared to this one great thing. And what is it? Yeah, you can talk, it's okay. It's what? Knowing Christ. He says there is nothing else in this world that is worth comparing to this one thing, to know Christ. Um, Let me pause there for just a moment and see if we can make some application. Um, I I did a funeral here uh, not long ago um, and had been called by um, the son of, this, of the woman that I did the funeral for. And he was very concerned for her because she had been in church for all of her life. But in the last uh, kind of the, you know, the, 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 the winter years of her life, she had stopped going to church. And he was worried about her salvation. He was really deeply concerned that, that she would somehow have lost her salvation. I know, you know, we good Baptists, we believe that you can't lose your salvation, right? 
Uh, I, I'm smiling because yeah, I don't know why. But anyway, uh, we don't believe you can lose your salvation. That's not something we should smile about, I guess. But anyway, we don't believe you can lose your salvation. But he was so convinced that there was something that you had to do to earn your salvation that he was worried for his mom. Are you with me? And so he called me really out of desperation to say, man, she doesn't have a lot of time left. Can you go and can you visit with her and, and can you talk to her? I don't know what she needs, but, you know, would you talk to her? She hadn't been in church and I'm really worried about her. Um, it, it's kind of a scary thing if you begin to think that you could lose your salvation about what, might, what it might take to lose it, right? Uh, but anyway, he was really concerned about her. But can I say this? Um, and this is something we have to be on guard on all the time. If you think that you're doing something gains God's favor or that you earn merit uh, or, or God's favor by doing them, there's a word for that. We call it religion, and that's not Christianity, right? You and I could not and ever earn God's favor, but we received it when we believed in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? He earned God's favor for us. We cannot earn it ourselves. What did, matter of fact, what did Isaiah write in, in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6? He said, your righteous acts are like filthy rags. Even the most righteous thing, the, the best thing you're, you've ever done looks like filthy rags to God. And there was nothing we could do to earn his favor or to gain some merit from him, right? There was nothing we could do. We receive God's favor by following Jesus Christ. And this is, this is so important. I'm, um, I tell a story on Brenda since she's not in here. Um, there was a time, been, oh, 20 years ago, uh, not exactly, we hadn't been married that long, let me think, uh, 15 years ago, that uh, we used to have on our checks, on our, our, on our checks, you know, you can get a little wording on there, something, something about God bless our home or something, I, I really don't remember. But anyway, Brenda went and she was going to get, uh, uh, she, was, she was reordering checks because we were out of them and, and she was thinking she was just going to get the cheaper checks, you know, with no words on them, but she didn't want to take off those words, God bless our home because she thought God might frown on that. And so anyway, she came back and we kind of talked about it. I was like, you know what? You didn't gain anything from God by what's written on our checks. But you know, we, we do, we have to, that's kind of a silly story, but we have to, we, you have to watch your life to make sure that you don't think that you're earning God's favor by what you do because you can't. There is only one way to gain God's favor and that's by believing and following his son, Jesus Christ. You and I could never earn his favor, right? We could never do it. It is only by uh, receiving it in Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit more. Um, but the thing is, is that there, there, it, there's something about us, I think, as, as fallen human people, that we want to think we can earn something. Um, I remember uh, reading a book, uh, yeah, but I can't remember the author as usual, as usual um, uh, reading a book, and he was talking about going through the checkout line, and there was a, there was a lady in front of him who was using food stamps. And, and as she was checking out, she was being very careful. You know, you swipe the little card thing. She was being very careful to not let people see behind her um, that she was using food stamps, like she was embarrassed to be using them. Now, I know here in our, our great white Anglo culture here, we say, yeah, you should be embarrassed. No, listen, um, uh, but what I would say is this, is that why would you be embarrassed? Because you feel like you ought to earn it. Is, is that why? I think sometimes we apply the same principle to God, is that we feel like we want to earn his favor somehow. That, that somehow by, by if we pull ourselves up our own bootstraps, if we do something to earn his favor, if we do something to, to pay for the sins that we've done before, that maybe we're doing some good. Listen to what Paul says. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss. That is, that's kind of an accounting term. It's like I had a, I, you know, you have debits and credits, right? He says, I cons- used to consider things that used to be considered credits, I now consider debits. I now consider a negative in my account. Those things are negative in my pursuit of Jesus Christ because they confuse you and me. And they make us think that we can earn God's favor when instead what we ought to be doing is thanking Jesus Christ for earning God's favor on our behalf. And let us not be confused. It is all because of what he's done that we have the favor and the love of God and the mercy of God because of what he has done, not by anything we've done ourselves. Amen? All right. Uh, It's a dangerous thing. And matter of fact, if you looked up just a couple of, of paragraphs above this, Paul's talking about there were, there were uh, some good Jews back in, in a lot of these churches uh, who were coming in and telling all the, all, the, uh, all the non-Jews, what do you call those? Gentiles, yes, sorry. Telling all of the Gentiles, uh, telling all the Gentiles that they had to be circumcised if they were going to follow Christ. And Paul here calls them dogs and mutilators of the flesh. And he's being very careful about the gospel. And he says, you don't take and add anything to the gospel to say this is how you earn God's favor. Circumcision buys you nothing to earn God's favor. And if you're teaching that and preaching that, Paul would say, you're twisting and perverting the gospel. He says the gospel is simply this. We received God's favor by what Jesus Christ has done, and don't you add a single thing to it. Yeah? Paul was ferocious in defending the gospel and the purity of this, that the only thing that we do is have faith in Jesus Christ, and that's how we receive righteousness and right standing and justification and and get our redemption. That's the only thing, and there's nothing to add to it. So listen, if if I were going to try to apply this to us today, I would say beware of your religion. It is a negative thing in your life, and you remember the only thing that earns you God's favor is Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, let's continue. Verse 8, um, for whose sake I've lost all things, I consider everything, I consider them rubbish. That word rubbish means like trash or even excrement. It's the worst of things that I may gain Christ, in verse 9, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Let's turn. Would you look with me in Romans chapter 3? Keep your place there in Philippians. We'll come back. But in Romans chapter 3, we're going to read here just for a moment. Romans chapter 3, we're going to read in verses 21 through 24. This is Paul's writing again to the Romans. Romans three twenty-one. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Let me stop there for just a moment. Before, all the Israelites, all the Jews were trying to earn God's favor by following the law because that is all they had from God. To follow and to try to be perfect in the law was their goal, right? Uh, But Paul says, now something apart, entirely different from the law has come, right? And it's different from the law, but he says this. This is a, a pretty amazing part. But he says, but the prophets and the law point to him. The, the law and the prophets were, were foretelling about what was coming, and this coming of a, a new way to righteousness has come in verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God 
and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In verse 24, it says we are justified how? By you continuing to try to do good things, right? No, you are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus. Amazing stuff, incredible stuff. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. In every other religion, people are trying to earn God's favor or to earn goodness or to earn righteousness and holiness. Christianity says you could never do it. You are too corrupt. But out of mercy and grace, God made a way to give you righteousness, and it happens through faith in Jesus Christ and all that he did on the cross. Amen? There's nothing else like it. There's no other teaching like this on the world. This is the only one that you and I may simply by faith in Jesus Christ that we might come to know our Father and that we might receive righteousness and wholeness before him. There's nothing else like it in the world. Martin Luther, I'm going to say it one more time. Martin Luther said what? Preach the gospel to yourself once a day, twice if necessary, right? Uh, Remind yourself, I didn't earn God's favor and I can't, but I received it by the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. I want to be found in him. All right. Um, let's see. Um, and here's the amazing thing in verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from my own, that comes from the law, but that which is, which, which is through faith in Christ Jesus. There's a, uh, there's a the- theological term called imputed. That means that, that Christ's righteousness, when we come to believe in what Jesus Christ did, his righteousness is imputed to us. That means that it's been given to us. The righteous life that Paul lived, I'm sorry, the righteous life that Christ lived is given to Paul is imputed to him or given to him. And listen, when you and I follow Jesus Christ and we come to have faith in Jesus Christ, his righteous life, he who had committed no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's an incredible statement, isn't it? We might become the righteousness of God because Jesus Christ imputed his righteousness on us. Uh, Just an incredible thought. But anyway, we're not going to stop there. We're going to press on here. Um, When you and I are linked in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we receive his righteousness. Uh, We receive his righteousness. And it's not a righteousness of our own that we've earned God's favor. It is all through him. I know I've said that 15 times, but this is important. Uh, This is the gospel. uh, And... Uh, it, it's given to him. So, so Paul's saying here, and, and I, here's the point that I want to make, all of, of Paul's accomplishments, all of, even all of Paul's sins and failures have all now been covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, all the things that I accomplished in my past, past are rubbish and worthlessness to me now compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right. Verse 10, this is where it gets a little bit hairy. When I want to know Christ and the f- power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resur- resurrection from the dead. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Let me pause there for just a moment. Do you have that kind of desire in your life? First, I, I guess maybe the thing is for anything, um, you know, I, 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 you see people and I know people who have an incredible drive for things, you know, whether it's success or advancement in their career or obtaining dollars. You know, I know a lot of people who are all about obtaining dollars in their life and that if you're going to categorize their desire, their lifelong desire, it's, it's to grab more dollars. Um, that's a sad and pitiful life. Amen. Uh, but 
To know Christ is what Paul says. And I believe if he were to explain it or, or describe it this morning, we might hear him say, this is my life's desire that I may know Christ. There is nothing greater than this. Everything else, every other thing in this world, every other pursuit pales in comparison to this. I want to know Christ. There is nothing better on this earth. All right. There is nothing better. I want to know Christ. And look, he says three kind of very specific things about things that he'd like to know uh, about, about Christ. One is he wants to know the power of his resurrection. Um, this is kind of an interesting thing. Paul had not seen Paul, uh, Christ's resurrection, but he knew of his resurrection power. All right? Paul had done incredible things. Matter of fact, when Paul was in Ephesus in, in, in the book of Acts, when Paul was in Ephesus, if he had touched a handkerchief or an apron, uh, someone could take that handkerchief or that apron, pardon me, and he, they could go to someone who is sick or demon-possessed, and those people would, just by having or holding the handkerchief or the apron that Paul had touched, they would be healed or set free from possession. That's what I would like to call resurrection power, isn't it? That's pretty incredible that, I t- that he touched an apron and then all of a sudden it's making sick people well. That's pretty incredible stuff. Pretty imp- just amazing stuff. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 real quick? Another writing of Paul. Ephesians, of course, the book, the letter just before Philippians, so just three or four pages back. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Ephesians 1, 18. This is Paul praying for the Ephesians. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Let's pause there for just a minute. He's asking them, he's saying, I pray that you might understand that the eyes of your heart might be open, that you might get these things. The first thing he says, that you may know the hope to which you've been called, to which he's called you. The second thing is the riches of his glorious inheritance, those things that are waiting for us uh, in heaven. He says, I pray that you would understand that in the saints. And in verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Jesus Christ has power for believers. He has power for you and for me. And listen to how Paul describes what that power is like. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul would later refer to this as resurrection power. This is the power of resurrection that that Paul says is at work in, in believers, that is at work in us. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly in the heavenly realms, but Paul says, Paul's seen some of the resurrection power of Christ. He's seen the the, the working of the the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, and he says, "I want to see even more of it. I want to see more of, of his power. I want to know Christ, and 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 I want to uh, and I want to know the the power of his resurrection. And the next thing he says, I want to and and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings." That's an incredibly hard thing. Of course, something we don't ask for very often, is it, uh, fellow believers? But uh, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul was saying here, he wanted to suffer. I think what he was saying here is he wanted to suffer like Christ for the same purpose that Christ suffered. You know what I'm saying? You following me? He wants to suffer like Christ did. And what he means is not only to suffer personally. It wasn't like his goal was to suffer in life. But he wanted to suffer for the same purpose that Christ suffered. Why did Christ suffer? 
It's okay to answer. To buy us salvation. To buy salvation for mankind. To bring redemption to, to mankind. To, to bring salvation and redemption and freedom to people who have been captive to sin all of their lives. Sin and sickness and death all of their lives. And Paul would say, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to share with Christ in his sufferings. Not that I just want to suffer for no purpose. I want to suffer for a reason. I want to suffer that other people might know this mighty, incredible salvation. And Paul said, I want to, I want to know what the, that suffering is like. Becoming like him in his death. I suspect what Paul meant here, and I don't know for sure, but I suspect what Paul meant here is that he wanted to, like Christ, become like Christ in his death. How did Christ die? He died in honor and obedience to his heavenly Father. And he died for the purpose of salvation. And Paul says, I want to die like that. I want to die to myself. I want to die in, in honor and glory of my Father. And I want to die for the benefit of other people that might, they might know salvation. They might, they might find this thing that I found that's changed my life. I want to die to myself. And I want to suffer and die like Christ did that other people may know it. Um, let's pause there for just a minute. Is there anything in this life that you and I would die for? Is there anything in this life that we would say, I would suffer for this cause? Our kids? Yeah. Our kids? What else? Anything? Our, our wives? Our husbands? Um, we heard a tragic story that happened last week in Amarillo, right, where a woman was protecting her grandchildren. She was shot and killed. Uh, she's a hero, right? Rightly called so. That we might give our life for something greater than us. But what if, what if we were willing, what if we had the kind of desire and the kind of focus that Paul did on the gospel to say, if I really believed in the transforming power of the gospel, that it is the greatest thing that's ever occurred, ever eclipsed, ever, ever shown on this earth, there's nothing like it on earth like this, is it something we'd be willing to suffer for? Is it something you'd be willing to die for? Is it something that you would let, like to say, like Paul says, I saw Jesus Christ suffer and die for this. I am willing and I want to suffer and die and follow in the footsteps of my Savior because there's something greater than me. There's something greater than my comfort at work around me. And that is God's gospel at work, advancing through this earth, redeeming and recalling and saving and bringing people out of darkness into light, out of lies into truth, uh, out of death into life. Paul says, I would suffer and die for this. There is no greater cause than this. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul's, uh, I think, here in the end is saying that, uh, you know, somehow, some way, in the end, we're going to receive a, a prize, and that is all of this thing, even if I suffered and died, that one day I'll be raised in a resurrected body, again, just like my Savior Jesus Christ was. Uh, one day I too will be raised and, of course, not only will we be raised, but we'll also receive glory and we'll receive the, uh, the glory of Christ, which is just incredible to me. I wouldn't believe it if it weren't in the Scriptures, but it's true. Do you have that kind of passion for anything in your life? You know, I see a lot of people, I think purpose, I don't know how important purpose is to women. I think it's pretty important. But for men, man, it is important. 
Is it right? Is it that right? I Man, what, wouldn't the worst thing to be when you when you when you gave your last breath to say I did a lot of things, but none of them accounted for anything? That kind of thing socks a man in his gut. You, you know what I mean? That's a that would be a tragic thing to hear. Paul says, "I've found something that's worth suffering and dying for. I've found something that is my life's desire that I might know Christ." And he says, and I've put everything else behind me for this one great cause that I might know him. There is nothing greater. Everything else, everything else that tripped me up, everything else that made me think that I was attaining God's favor or righteousness, I consider them now a hindrance to me. And I put them behind me that I might know Christ, that I might understand better what he's done on my behalf, that I might follow and chase after him, that I might know his power, that I might know his suffering, and that I might know his death. That's a great cause and a great purpose, isn't it? And men, isn't that something that you're longing for? Don't we all long for a great cause to get behind? Don't we all long for some great purpose to, to jump in behind? Don't we all find something very fulfilling about something uh, so great and so marvelous? Don't we all, men, don't we all see movies like Band of Brothers where these guys stuck together through the war and they were fighting for a cause? You know, I was hearing something the other day talking about people who came back uh, from Iraq or Afghanistan, and they come back and, and they try to fit in society, but it's difficult. And one of the reasons that the people, the psychologists that were studying this, one of the reasons that they found that they were having difficulty fitting back in was not just because they had been fired on and they were a little shell-shocked about being, being shot at from who knows where all the time in Iraq or Afghanistan, but because over there they had a very clear sense of purpose and a very clear sense of belonging. They were there for each other, and they were protective of each other, and they had a purpose and a mission to carry out. Listen, our hearts long for purpose and calling. And may I suggest to you, when I look at the Scriptures, and I read the parable that Jesus told about the man who went and found a treasure in the field, he went and sold what? The whole rest of his life, and he says, I give it all for this, this one cause this one thing and Paul says that thing that I found is to know Christ there is nothing greater than this